So we're in Second uh, Peter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up a few verses um, and I'm going to read and then we're going to jump into, uh, into the uh, verse by verse. Um, Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Remember, he's talked about character qualities that we develop. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. So let me pause there. So this is why we think Second Peter is Peter's kind of final testament, right? So, I mean, heaven forbid, right? But at some point, all of us are going to pass away. If you, if you knew um, that it was, you know, your final days and you were going to write your final letter, kind of just a way to, you know, say what you wanted to say to everybody. What would you say? Well, Second Peter is what Peter would say. And what he did is he gave us this reminder of the way we should live our lives. So he said, you need to, you need to have faith. That's important. He said, you need to add to your faith moral excellence or virtue, right? You need to try to be a good person. Not just say, oh, well, I'm a good person. No, you need to work at that, okay? And then you need to add to that knowledge. Well, that's probably why you're here tonight. You're adding knowledge to your faith, right? Um, and then you need to add self-control to that. So once you learn certain things, you're like, wow, I need to act differently. I need to do some things differently. And that means I'm gonna have to discipline myself and control myself, right? And then he said you need to add endurance to that or perseverance is another word for that, um, uh, steadfastness is another word for that, okay? So once you add self-control, you've got to keep under it. You've got to stay on it. You can't just go in and out. And that's the way some of us are. We're in and out, in and out, right? And then he said you need to add godliness to that. Now that sounds like an old school word, right? Not a word we would use too often today. But godliness just, godliness just means the life of a worshiper, right? A reverent life, uh, a God-honoring life right? A life that respects and reveres God. And then you need to add to that brotherly kindness. So you need to care about other believers. And then you need to add to that love. And this is not just kind of a feeling that you have for people. We think of love as being a feeling. But love is really acting for the best of somebody else. You may have strong feelings for them, or you may not have strong feelings for them. But if you choose to act in someone else's best interest, you choose to try to do the best for them, well, that's really love, whether you have feelings about it or not, or at least that's the, the kind of love that's being spoken of here. I do a series on love every year to two years, and um, I look at the four words for love in Greek, primarily something that um, uh, C.S. Lewis came up with in his book, The Four Loves, and he said there's a foundational love, which is God's love, agape love. That's what we're talking about here. God loves even his enemies. God loves even people that hate him. Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, that's hard. There's people that don't like you. There's people that are not looking out for your best interest. And Jesus said, I still want you to look out for their best interest, right? And, uh, but then there's friendship love. Now, that's people you trust, right? 
people that you will spend time with, that you want to hang out with, you want to be around, uh, people you would entrust your property and your secrets to, right? So that's friendship love. Uh, uh, philos is the, is the Greek word for friend. So that's this kind of love, right? So agape love, philos love. Um, and then there's eros love. That's man and wife love. Now that's totally confused in our culture today. But God designed one man and one woman for life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, you know, we've got all kinds of issues that we deal with and so forth, but that's God's design, and we need to aim for God's design, right? This intimacy between one man and one woman for life. And then there's affection. Affection is very broad. Affection can be, you can have affection for a pet, okay? You can have affection for a friend. Believe it or not, you can even show a type of affection for somebody that you don't know or, or even an enemy, right? If you just recognize somebody, so one thing I've noticed with this whole mask thing that we're dealing with right now is people don't pay attention to each other anymore. It's almost like we're all scared of each other, right? It's, I do these experiments. They're like social experiments, you know? So I know that, that um, I don't know how long it's been since you've been there because your parents probably aren't letting you go there, Autumn, but I know that Autumn is part of Lifetime Fitness and I go there every day. And so we're all, we all have to wear our masks, you know, where we're going around. And then you can take it off when you work out. And then you got to put it back on, take it off, put it on, you know. But I notice that when I'm walking past people, they're just like, they're just looking down. You know, they're just like, no, if I look at you, germs might come out of your eyes and infect me or something. Like, really? I, I think that it's like little particles coming out of your mouth and we've got to be like six feet and, and closer and stuff. So we need to like stop worrying about all that. So believe it or not, um, affection can be just you look at somebody and you give them a little head nod. Believe it or not, that's, you know, you don't have to like, oh, you're my best friend. Give me a big hug and a sloppy kiss. You know, that doesn't have to be affection. Affection can be something like that, you know. Uh, affection can be petting your dog. Affection can be, you know, tossing a kid's hair. Affection can be, you know, giving somebody a hug. Or affection can be the intimacy between a, a husband and a wife, right? So it's got a broad range. So that's, in the end, love, right? All of those are the character qualities that we're supposed to be aiming for. And that's what the Apostle Peter is talking about here. He said, I want you to develop these. I want you to work on these things. Now, that's not what's going to get you into heaven. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, then that's what you want to work on. You want to work on being a better person. You want to work on knowing more about God, right? You want to work on self-control. And, you know, I mean, if, you, if you've got certain things that you've got to work on, uh, maybe you've got a temper. I've got a temper, okay? Most people that know me know that I have a temper, primarily toward technology. It happens to me all the time. So I have this system. When I go and work out, right, I have this system. I have this stupid watch that's supposed to access all of my music on the Internet. Okay? So I've got this service that I pay for, $10 a month that I pay for with Apple, so that all my music gets beamed up to the Internet, right? And then I can beam it back down to my watch, and then I wear Bluetooth headphones, and it beams it over my headphones. That's supposed to work. <laughs> Incorrect. Every single time it seems that I get to the gym, something happens. First, 
it's the headphones. The headphones don't want to connect to the watch. Then the headphones connect to the watch, but the watch doesn't want to connect to the internet. Then the watch connects to the internet, but Apple doesn't want to cooperate and give me my music. I'm about to scream. All I want to do is just work out and listen to music. How hard is this, right? But no, it's this incredible process that we've got to go through now in order to, you know, oh, you know what, I don't care. Let's just go back to the days where I had a CD player and I just plugged it in to listen to it, right? Good grief, this is such a hassle. And so I fight against um, being upset over stuff like that and being angry over stuff like that. So you might fight against other things, but that's where the self-control part has to come in, right? So all of those things. So Peter's writing this last testament, and he's saying, what I want you to know is if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, it's more than just saying, hey, I believe uh, in God, or I believe in Jesus, and now I'm going to go on and live my life the way I want to live my life. It's, it's no, there's something you really do need to work on here. As uh, the uh, devotional writer Oswald Chambers said, we work out what God works in. So God loves you, and he works his grace into you. He loves you unconditionally. He doesn't love you if you're a good girl or a good boy. He loves you just because he made you, right? And when you receive that love, it makes you feel better. It makes you live better, right? And so now I want to work out what he's worked in. I want to show him that I'm thankful. I want to worship him with my life. So I don't just go on living my life however I want to live my life. I want to live my life the way he wants me to live my life because that's going to be the best thing for me, and that's what he deserves. He deserves me to live my life for him and not for me, or even to live my life for someone else. Listen, if, if a husband and wife would choose to live their lives, each of them for God, they would be a better husband and wife, right? If a son or a daughter would choose to live for the Lord first, they're going to be a better son and daughter for their parent. That's just the way it works, okay? So if we put our focus on the Lord and living our life for the Lord, then we'll find that the other things work out. So then in verse 16, um, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the light dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's back up and look at that again. When we talk about following Jesus, living for Jesus, worshiping Jesus, we're talking about a real person. So I remember some years ago, there was a young man um, who had just come to the Lord and uh, I was doing a baptismal class, and we had a, I don't know, five, six, seven kids in that class. I say kids, they were, they were young adults. Um, they were teenagers, actually, probably y'all's age, largely. Uh, Pastor Craig was our youth minister at the time, and so at that time, we had a huge youth group. 
largely full of people unlike you. You guys are so nice and kind and well-behaved, and these were not very well-behaved kids. Um, we got a lot of them from the, the Rock, the Recreation Outreach Center, and they had come there because they needed to do community service because they had gotten in trouble at school or because they had broken the law or something like that. And they would come to that community service, and part of what they could do is come to our program. But then once community service was over, they could keep coming to the program, and a lot of them did, right? So they were not all well-behaved. Now, this particular young man was, you know, well-behaved. Um, and I remember in that baptismal class, he raised his hand, and he said, well, okay, but was Jesus a real person? And I thought, huh? <laughs> right? But see, what he meant was, is are we just following a story? Right? So there's all kinds of stories out there, really great stories, right? Lord of the Rings is a great story. You've got Sauron and Saruman and Aragorn and the elves and the dwarves. None of that's real. It's just a story. It's a great story. It's fun to read. It's interesting. It can teach you things about good and evil and all that kind of stuff, but it's not real, right? So then we've got all of these superhero stories. You know, we've got Spider-Man. We've got Batman. We've got Superman. We've got all the Avengers, these great Avengers movies that came out, you know, 2000, whenever they started, eight, I guess is when Iron Man first started, all the way to 2018 when the last Avengers movie came out. Man, great story. Great characters. The actors that played them, they're not real. They don't exist. They exist in, you know, digital form. But if you were to watch these guys, you know, when they created this, they were in a room that was just basically a big green room. That's called a green screen. Because then what they can do is they can have them act and pretend like stuff's going on, and then they can put all the details behind them on the computer. Of course, it's not real. But it seems so real, doesn't it? And because we live in a world like that, then people are confused. I mean, Iron Man seemed as real as Jesus. In fact, you probably haven't seen a really good Jesus movie, so Iron Man might seem more real than Jesus to you. And yet the, the, the reverse is true. Iron Man isn't real at all, and Jesus really is. Jesus is a historical person. So the writer here sa says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. A myth is like a big story, right? Mythology, mythos and logos. It's a story that tells a truth. So the Greek myths about Zeus and Apollos and Athena and all these, right? This was, this was all designed to teach something to the Greeks and the Romans. Now, early on, they did believe that these gods were real, but after a while, they didn't, right? They began to suspect and understand that, no, this is just a story like Iron Man and Spider-Man and, you know, Captain America and all of that. And, you know, we just look at the story and it teaches. But Peter said, no, 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 look, we didn't follow stories like that. We followed the truth. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a real person. He really lived. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to live, but don't. 
and then he died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sin. But if we're in Christ, well, you'll physically die, but you don't have to die and be separated from God for eternity in hell because Christ died for you. So if I'm in Christ, Christ rose from the dead, and one day I will rise from the dead. So when I close my eyes on this life, it's not the last thing that I'm going to experience or see, right? Because I'm in Christ, I will awaken in the presence of God, and one day I'll have a perfect body. I'll have a resurrected body, a body like the Lord Jesus had when he came up from the grave. So he died on the cross. They beat him badly, died on the cross. They laid him in the tomb, and on the third day, Right? Not, not three 24-hour periods, but the third day. The first day was Friday. That's when they laid him in the tomb. The second day was Saturday. The third day was Sunday. The reason why churches worship on Sunday is because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And we always remember that as the result of that. So what's your question, bud? Go ahead. Ask. You can ask. Say it loud because I'm deaf. If Jesus died, go ahead. If the reason um, he'll um, do it on Sundays is because he rose on 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 um, on on Sunday, then why do y'all also um, do it on Wednesday? Well, because on Wednesday we're just having a Bible study, right? So it's just kind of a time to learn. But churches worship and have historically worshipped on Sunday. Because that's the day that he rose from the dead. So churches will sometimes have Bible studies on Tuesday or Monday, you know. And we're just trying to have like a little extra Bible study for you guys, right? Like a midweek something to pump you up, right? Thanks for asking, all right? So we're, we're talking about a real historical person, right? So if all we're talking about is just, you know, a Lord of the Rings character or a superhero character, well, then why are we here? Let's just make a cool movie and we'll watch it and you know, then we'll just kind of go and live our lives. But if Jesus was a real person who lived his life, who died on the cross and then rose from the dead, wow, that's more than a story. That's incredible. In fact, it's even more incredible because it says that he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? That means he's just the first one to rise from the dead. If you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, and this is you, and this is Jesus, and you're in Christ, then when you die, you're not going to stay dead either. You're going to rise from the dead, right? So I don't know, you know, how you're feeling physically right now, how you're doing physically. None of us are perfect, okay? Um, I, you know, been trying to get healthier and do all these things. But in the end, this body is imperfect, and no matter how much you take care of it, it's going to eventually die, right? And you may be healthy, you may not be healthy. So one of my heroes when I was younger, because I wasn't a believer in Jesus and, you know, I, I was into music, I was into rock and roll and stuff like that, was uh, Eddie Van Halen. And he's a guitar player. Um, the band that he was the, the leader of shared his name, Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen died yesterday. So um, he's been struggling with cancer for years. I didn't even know that. But he's always been a smoker. 
So like you, you look at him like on stage when he was a young man and he could play the guitar like unbelievable. He was such a creative guy. Like he created his own version of a guitar. He took a Gibson and a Fender and he put it together, right? Um, you know, he called it a Frankenstrat. <laughs> so it's basically a Stratocaster is a Fender guitar, but he called it a Frankenstrat because he had done all of this stuff to it, put all these different pickups in it. But dude, the dude could play guitar like you cannot believe. So one of the first albums I ever bought, I say album because it was actually vinyl and you put it on a turntable and that's how I listened to it, right? Was Van Halen's first album. And it has this... Uh, uh, this guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen on it. It's about a two-minute guitar solo called Eruption. And I mean, he just rips up the neck on this guitar. It's unbelievable, like powerful, you know? Now, he wasn't a believer. He didn't love Jesus or anything like that, but neither did I when I was younger. And, you know, I just really was like, um, I don't know. I admired him. I thought he was awesome. He always had a smile on his face, whatever. But the dude just smoked and smoked and smoked. In fact, you know, until like a couple of years ago, there was an interview of him. He's already gone through all of these cancer treatments for his lungs, right? Uh, throat cancer, all of it. And he's still smoking. At some point, you figure it out. You're killing yourself, right? By doing what you're doing. But some people get habits and they just don't get over it, you know? So, you know, there's, there's a hero that died. His, his health was degraded. Now, I don't know what his thoughts were about Jesus and that sort of thing. But however degraded your body becomes, if you're in Christ, when you rise, then you rise with a, a healthy, healed body. So Eddie Van Halen died at age of 65. These days, it's more common for people to live up into their 80s or even their 90s. Now, believe it or not, when Social Security got started in the 30s, the average age for an American to die was in their mid-60s. That's why they didn't think that Social Security was going to go bankrupt back then because they didn't think everybody was even going to collect it, right? Yeah, they're all going to die, you know. Now we're all living longer. You know, our brother Vernon died in March this year at age 96. Well, Vernon never smoked, right? He barely drank at all. He was a healthy, healthy guy. And he lived 31 years longer than Eddie Van Halen, right? But even still, his body still went wrong, and your body's going to, too. But if you have Jesus, then you know this life isn't all there is. There's something more than this, right? So it's important for us to know that Jesus is real. He's historical. He actually died. He was actually buried. He actually rose from the dead. He had a physical body, but it was a supernatural physical body, right? They were all scared because they'd seen him die when he showed up. And he said, here, just give me something to eat. I'm going to eat something in front of you. Here, touch me. Look, I'm real, right? I'm not a ghost. You're not going to put your hand through me and, and not feel me, right? That, that's Jesus. So, and then the, the example he gives, he says, for when we received, when he, that is Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. That means it was brought to him. I don't know what translation I'm reading here. Um, so I like to read more contemporary translations because sometimes they're, they're, they're trying to get a little bit too uh, uh, fancy here for us. That means that the voice was carried to him, right? Brought to him, if you will, um, by the majestic glory. That's a way of saying God, basically. This is my beloved son. Now, this is the statement that was made. With whom I am well pleased. 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so this is, this is relating an actual event that happened in the life of Jesus, and you can find it in Matthew chapter 17, and it's called um, the, uh, the Transfiguration. So Jesus went up on a mountain, and he was with uh, his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before them into his glory. That is what he looked like uh, in heaven, essentially. And he spoke with Elijah and with Moses. Now, what's the significance of that? Moses is the, the one that God used to bring the law, and Elijah was the first major prophet. So Elijah and Moses represented the law and the prophets. So they're up on the mountain. He's speaking to Moses and Elijah and Peter, who can never shut up. Do you know anybody like that? Are you that person? Can never stop talking. Always have to say something, right? Some people are real quiet and they're just, you know, they just don't ever say anything. Some people just can't be quiet. They just keep talking. And this is Peter. He just... I, Autumn was just looking at you, by the way. I just wanted you to know that. I, yeah. She went, she did. That's exactly how she looked. Yep. Some of us are talkers, and now Autumn is red as Rachel's shirt. All right. Um, some people are talkers, some people are not. But Peter was a talker, and Peter just, like, he is overwhelmed. Uh, 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 hey, uh, Jesus, you know, Oh, uh, we can build some shelters up here for you and Moses and Elijah, and we can all, it's like, what are you saying right now? All right? So there's one translator that thinks that uh, Peter was actually thinking that they would celebrate uh, a, a Hebrew festival called the, the Festival of Shelters or Tabernacles up there on the mountain, okay? Which, by the way, right now we're in the middle of that Jewish festival, tabernacles, shelters, right? It's called Sukkot. So, I mean, obviously we're not celebrating it. If we did celebrate it, it would be kind of cool. You would love it because you build like a, a, like a tent in your backyard and you, you camp out in your backyard every day, right? That's what they do. They actually go out and they build these little shelters out there and they go outside and it reminds them of when they were in the wilderness and God was watching over them. So, it kind of reminds you of the reality that you don't have to have this fancy house to realize that God is taking care of you. He'll take care of you out here in the square. He'll take care of you in your car. He'll take care of you wherever you are, right? Whatever your, your domicile is, right? If it's a tent or a trailer or a house or a lean-to, God's got you. He's going to take care of you. That's what the Festival of Shelters is, is like. Um, but there's an interpreter that believes that that's probably what Peter was, uh, was alluding to. Um, and uh, so then there's a voice from heaven where God speaks, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Well, that's a good message for us, isn't it? All right. So now Peter is saying, listen, we saw this. We followed Jesus around. We saw him on the mountain. We heard that voice speak. And so we're not just relating some story to you, some myth that we made up. And we're saying, hey, believe this story that we're telling you. No, this really happened. So honestly, if Christianity is not historical, we're all wasting our time. We really are. I should be doing something else, not teaching the Bible. 
right? I'd probably still be working with people. I'd probably still be teaching karate to kids. Um, there's lots of stuff I'd probably still be doing, but I wouldn't be teaching the Bible. I'd be like, what a waste of time. It's just an old book, right? There's lots of interesting stories out there, but who wants to live their life by this old book? Unless this old book is relating the truth, unless there's reality here. And because I firmly believe that that is the case, and because my life has proven that, okay, when I was uh, just a little bit younger than these young people right here, I gave my life to Jesus, and that's made all the difference in the world. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, now, that's not to say that my mom wasn't a Christian. She was a believer. We just didn't ever go to church, and we didn't make a big deal out of any of that. That just wasn't like a, a daily part of our lives or anything. But um, when I was 16, I went to this church on Easter Sunday, and I committed my life to Jesus after a couple of years of, of the Lord kind of really reaching me largely through TV. This is why we go ahead and put this online, uh, because who knows who's going to watch this at what point in time right? People that might not want to come into this building may pay attention to this online, all right? So this church was broadcasting its service on the, on the local TV station, Channel 5 for us, KPHO Channel 5, and I happened to watch it on Sunday morning, and it's because of that, I listened to the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and I ended up going to that church a few times and finally gave my life to Jesus and made all the difference in the world, right? Um, and a year later, when I was 17, I chose to um, hear the Lord call me to preach. I don't mean it was an audible voice, Daryl, preach. It was more kind of a sense of leading, right? A pull, if you will, conviction, call it that. And, uh, you know, I said, that's what I want to do. And honestly, it took me about a decade. Like, it took me 10 years before I preached my first sermon. So I just didn't feel like I was worthy the preachers that were, that were my role models were like big time. They were just like super important, preached to hundreds and thousands of people. And I just thought, yeah, who am I? But eventually I did. And, you know, I came out here to Texas, went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, thought I was going to go back to Arizona or California and ended up getting called to a church just a couple of miles from us, Freeman Heights Baptist, and was their associate pastor and youth minister. And then after about eight years, we started this church, and then I've been here for 21 years. So that's the long and the short of it right there. Followed the Lord, tried to do what he said. But this is, this is a historical Jesus. This is a real person. That's who we're following. And on Sunday when I'm talking about, you know, the end is near? Jesus is coming back? Well, he really is. Jesus is actually coming back. And I don't know how close the end is, but I can tell you it's a lot closer than it was. And I can tell you we're in a position now where a lot of things that couldn't have happened before, like one world government. Listen, I'm, I'm on a device right now, right? This is an iPad. But almost all of our devices now have the ability to send video, don't they? Yeah. So this has got a camera up here. And if I chose to, I could send video from this camera right here. But you know, it's been proven that these cameras on these computers and on your phone can be remotely activated. A lot of us have these devices in our homes like Amazon Echo, right? We have these cameras. There's a camera right there that I use to, uh, to keep an eye on this auditorium. Um, 
yeah, all of those are are on networks and can be remotely activated. You can literally watch people doing just about anything and everything now. And a lot of this is controlled through China. Hmm. I'll let you come on Sunday to hear a little bit more about that. But the reality is something that was not a possibility in the past is now a possibility and perhaps even a reality, right? One world government, one world leader, all those sorts of things. So this is all the more reason why it's imperative for us to look to the Lord and trust that he's going to come back, right? So this is a historical Jesus who said this is, God says to Jesus, uh, this voice from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice carried from heaven, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So that's what it's referring to. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which, that is that word, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. How many of you know what the morning star is? I, was, I should have put this up there. I have a picture that I took about four or five days ago, maybe. Um, I was right outside here, and the moon was over here. Now, the moon is over here now in the morning, but the moon was over here about a week ago, okay? And the morning star was right next to the moon. They were right next to each other. Well, the morning star is actually the planet Venus. And it's a, it looks like a star, but it's a bright, bright dot that you can see in the east at sunrise. And this was what uh, people would look to in ancient times as a harbinger or, or a, a bringer of, uh, a sign of sunrise. The morning star rises. And the morning star lets you know, hey, the sun is right behind me, right? So um, I, I love this. So the, um, the word that is used in Greek here, see if you recognize this word as a word you've heard in English, is the word phosphorus. Phosphorus. Do you recognize an English word? What's phosphorus? You know what phosphorus is? Huh? It's, it's, it's actually uh, a, an element that burns very, very brightly. Phosphorus is a word in Greek that just means a brightly shining heavenly body. But the way it's used here in the context, almost every translation translates it the morning star, right? because of the way it's used grammatically, phosphorus, right? Phosphorus. So it is this bright, shining, heavenly body that is a harbinger, right? A bringer, a sign of the sunrise. So guys, I know right now it just kind of looks dark, doesn't it? It's just dingy. And that's what this, this word says, a lamp shining in a dark place. This means, this means, you know, uh, it's sort of a, 
Have you ever walked into a room and it's not just completely dark, but maybe there's there's no light on in there and the the sun is almost all the way down and you can barely see in there. It's gloomy. You know what I'm talking about? Like I've walked into this church before. Now I know Miss Mary prays for our church all the time. A lot of times I walk in through that door and I can feel that Miss Mary's been praying in this church, right? It just it feels like, man, this is set apart, right? But there's times when I walk in here and it's just, especially going down that hallway right there, it's dark. And I'm like, I can't see. I, you know, I, I know what the hallway looks like, okay? But it's like, especially if I'm looking for something and I don't want to turn on the lights, I'm like, oh, why is everything so dark in this room, right? And I put these, uh, these, these paintings. I've got several of them. You can see that one there. There's one back there and there's one back there. The, our church used to be called Zion, right? So that's I, O, and N. I've got the Z. It's got a rip in it. And that used to be on the wall up there. But I use those to cover those windows when we do movies in here because the light comes through those windows. Well, sometimes I have those windows covered and I come in here and I'm like, oh my gosh, it is so dark in here. I can't, I'm so tired of it being dark, right? I'm just tired of everything being dark all the time. That's kind of the world we're living in, isn't it? But he says, look, the prophetic word, the word from the scripture, the word that speaks this good news to us is like a lamp in a dark place. So what happens when it's dark? Well, you turn on the light. Okay? So in that hallway back there, you can see there's a light on there now. There's, there's a little stairwell that goes up to this stage that the curtain is closed on, and I go up there and turn a little light on, and then it's like, oh, well, that's nice. Now I can see in this hallway. Okay? Or a lot of times there's a closet back there, and that's where I get all the technical equipment and stuff like that. I'm like, man, it is so dark. Turn the light on. Oh, wow. That's the word. God's word is a light in a very dark place. That's why I so encourage you guys, man, turn off the news. Get away from all of that. It's almost like it's casting shadows on everything, right? Get into the word and let God just open your eyes. Let him shine light onto your situation. Let him give you that, that sense of hope that comes from you know, his promise that's here, right? So the prophetic word right, that God has promised that good things are coming, that Jesus is going to return. That's a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. What's the day? That's when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom to the earth. That's when he makes right all of the wrongs. That's when he brings justice. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to make heaven of earth. This is never going to be a utopia. When people talk about social justice, well, let's do our best to bring justice and help people, but you're never going to fully bring that. That's not going to happen as long as human beings who are fallen and have sinful lives and sinful tendencies, as long as we're in charge, that's never going to completely, when Jesus comes and takes charge, he's going to make everything that's wrong right. That's when the sun rises. But shortly before the sun rises, the day star comes up, right? The morning star comes up. We know that it's Venus, but it rises just before the sun. So like I said, uh, on about a week ago, I have a picture, and the moon and that day star are right next to each other. It's a really cool picture, right? So I was reading this, I think it was yesterday morning, and I get up and I read uh, the, the word really early in the morning, like just before the sun rises. 
And I thought, hey, I wonder if I can see that out my window, right? Because I'm up in my office up here and the windows face east. Well, there's a tree in my window right here, like that's right in the way for, of my office. But if I go to the room next door to my office and I look out, then I can see out over the square. And it was so cool. Sure enough, there it was, right there. Now, the moon was clear over here yesterday, all right? But that's irrelevant. This isn't talking about the moon. It's talking about the day star, right? The morning star. But there it was, that bright morning star. So if you're ever up early in the morning, just before the sun comes up, I invite you to just look that way and just kind of start tracing up the horizon, okay? So if we're out here, the sun is always like right there, okay? Because I look out on the square every, every morning. So here's the square right here. The sun is always right over there when it's coming up, and the day star is right over here. Now, it may move a little bit just depending on how things uh, are configured, but what that's saying is that Christ will rise in your heart before the fullness of day. You see, that's what I'm trying to get to you guys that's what i'm trying to bring into you guys is that enlightenment that encouragement where christ rises in your heart and gives you that sense of hope right that you're like no i know better things are coming i know good things are going to happen because god is a good god and it doesn't matter how bad it looks out here guess what it's always really dark before the dawn. I told the story in here a number of times, and I, I once recently, but I was driving from Phoenix, Arizona to Waco, Texas, when I lived in Phoenix, and I was going to Baylor University. And I was with a friend, and we were trading off driving, and it's the middle of the night. Now, when I'm driving alone, I won't drive through the night. It's just dangerous, and you shouldn't. Now, I know, guys, I know, you're tough. You're, you're studs, and you're like, no, I'm going to drive all the way. I am not stopping. 36 hours straight through, all I need is monsters, and I'm going to drive, right? And that's when you get the road hypnosis, and you're like, you're asleep, but you think you're awake, right? Yeah, and you drive. I, that happened to me one time. I was, I had a, I had a, a 1976 Type LT Camaro, and I was a high school kid. It was only two years old. I thought I was it, buddy. I, it was a cool car. It really was. And uh, I was working this job. I was a salesman. Now, you know, you've heard me talk, so you can probably imagine I can sell stuff. And I was making pretty good money selling stuff on the phone. And so that let me make the payment on the car and make my insurance payment, buy my gas and all that. I'm driving home late at night after working, and I don't even remember falling asleep. I just remember waking up and being in midair. I was driving down the highway, and I had fallen asleep, and I suddenly woke up, and there's a, there's a deep, kind of like a ditch in between the two sides of the highway. And I was in midair flying, and I'm like, oh, boom. And it busted a bunch of stuff under my car that I had to go have fixed, right? Um, but zoom over to 
this this drive. I'm it's in the middle of the night. I don't know when I took over the drive. Probably like three in the morning or something. Which, by the way, is when I hate being awake and driving. And I was so tired, man. I'm driving, and it was I was in West Texas. I remember we'd already gone through El Paso, and now, granted, you get in certain parts of West Texas. There's a there's a kind of a, a beauty, even though it's some extremely rugged terrain. But there's parts of West Texas that just kind of look like a nuclear holocaust happened, you know. And so I'm driving through, and it's just so late at night, and I'm so, so tired, and I'm just, I just feel like I'm, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to have to pull over. I'm going to have to pull over and rest. I'm just not going to be able to. And then I, I'm looking, at, and again, it was kind of over to my left. This is Interstate 10. I'm going through West Texas, and it looks like there's a fire. There's just this red line on the right, and it looks like there's a fire. I'm like, huh, there's a brush fire out there. And so I'm driving. Now I'm kind of getting more awake, you know, and I'm driving along. And that red, just bright red line started spreading across. And it's like, oh, the sun is coming up. And pretty soon it was light outside. The sun was up and then I was awake. So it was really dark. I was really tired. I was ready to give up. You might be there right now. You might be just tired of the way things are going. You might be ready to give up. Might be just your situation. Might be the COVID drama. Who knows? Okay. But understand, you let this word that I'm preaching to you right now open your heart to the reality that Jesus is returning. Jesus is the morning star. And he will rise in your heart because he is returning. And he is going to make everything right. Okay? Let that day star rise in your heart. Because the time is coming. And it's in the not too distant future. When Christ will return and make everything right. And one way or the other. No matter how long that is. He's going to improve your situation. You just trust him. You just trust him. He's going to do it. Okay? Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture come from, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy doesn't just come from someone's imagination. They're, they're not just assuming or presuming that... Um, what they're saying is going to come to pass. No, the reality is God is speaking and has spoken to those that he's chosen to speak through, prophets, preachers, teachers, okay? People like me, we're, we're just preaching the word. We're preaching the scripture, right? We're speaking what the Lord has taught us here in the scripture. And we're relating that to you. And we're relying on the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Okay? But there are prophets that we are interpreting, that we're teaching from the scripture, who received this word directly from God. God spoke to them. Now, there are plenty of times in scripture um, when scripture talks about false prophets. Okay? Um, 
there are false prophets who want to make things seem better than they are oftentimes. Now, I see a lot of this on Christian TV. You see these false teachers and false prophets that really just want to tell people what people want to hear, right? Rather than addressing the fact that we all need to repent, that we need to change our lives. That's what prophets were always doing in the Old Testament. They were telling people they needed to repent. They were telling people that, they, that unless they repented, unless they changed, then things were going to get bad, that God was going to bring some sort of discipline down upon people, right? Um, there is a, there's a good example of this, and I have this in my notes uh, just in the event that I don't recall off the top of my head. Let me see here. Just one second here. I haven't been following my notes. I've just been going off the top of my head here. All right, here it is. Um, the argument given here is that the original prophets didn't just make up their prophecies from their own minds. They didn't even take the initiative to be prophets. So somebody that wants to be a preacher, that wants to be a teacher, that wants to be a pastor, that's really not the requirement. God calls those that want to do this. So I had somebody ask me not too long ago, you know, what it took to do what I do, because this is a person who's looking for, he's looking for a new career. And I said, well, honestly, you need to be called to do what I do. And I went into the detail, some of which I went, I talked to you guys about just a moment ago, of how God called me. But Something that I heard a, uh, another preacher say one time when I was younger, if you can do anything other than preach the gospel, then you should. If you can be anything other than a pastor, then you should. Because this is not an easy job. This isn't a job that you just take because, oh, see, I'll be a policeman, a fireman, an engineer, a lawyer, or maybe a pastor. No, that's not the way it works. Okay, there has to be a calling that's there and you respond to that calling. All right. But some people want attention, right? They want people to pay attention to them. And so sometimes they'll become teachers. They might teach young people because they want the attention from young people. Right. Um, you know, they they might become a boss at a particular job because they want to tell people they don't tell you what to do. Right. But. Some people become priests or some people become preachers, right? Um, so there's an example found in the Old Testament of a false prophet who made up a prophecy because uh, that's what people wanted to hear. This false prophet's name was Hananiah. And this is in Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah 28, 2 through 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. What is he referring to? Well, at that point in time, Judah was being disciplined by the Lord. They were in need of repentance, and the Lord was sending a nation in called Babylon to discipline them. And what had happened was that nation had come in and had gone into Jerusalem and had taken the articles of worship from the temple because they were made of gold, like, and they'd also taken many of the top people, um, the nobles, uh, the leaders, they had taken them out of Jerusalem 
and they had brought them back to Babylon. So this guy, Hananiah, is saying, in two years, it's all going to come back. Verse 4, I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. This was the king that they took out of there. King of Judah and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, Jeremiah had been wearing a, a wooden yoke around his neck as a symbol of the fact that Judah was going to be under the control of Babylon. So this false prophet Hananiah goes up to Jeremiah, takes the yoke off of his neck and breaks it and says, thus saith the Lord, this yoke will be broken off of Jerusalem within two years. Well, interestingly, although Jeremiah was a legitimate prophet, a genuine prophet, and Jeremiah had been hearing from the Lord all along that the Lord was going to come in and remove these people from their place and discipline them because they refused to repent unless they repented, and they had not repented, he didn't say anything at first. He just let it happen because he wanted to know, well, maybe the people have repented. Maybe something has happened that I don't know about. Jeremiah was humble. Then Hananiah broke a wooden yoke off of the neck of Jeremiah that the true prophet was wearing as a symbol of the coming servitude of Israel, uh, that the coming of the coming servitude Israel would have under the king of Babylon. Trouble with all this is Jeremiah had prophesied that the people would not come back for 70 years. Even so, Jeremiah backed off and said he hoped Hananiah was right. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, here's the true word of the Lord. Jeremiah 28, 15 through 17. Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. You really don't want to be in the position of a false prophet. So Peter's saying, a prophet doesn't just make stuff up. And I get that impression sometimes. You listen to you know Christian TV sometimes and some of these people and that's exactly what it seems like. It seems like they're just making stuff up because this is what's going to make their listeners happy so that then they're going to sell these trinkets or Bibles or whatever and, and, and you know, get donations. But they're always saying the same thing. They're always saying things that people want to hear. But prophets don't start off that way. Prophets are always addressing the need for change that there needs to be repentance from sin. And then they bring, a, they bring the hope and the promise from God. But there's always that preaching against sin to begin with. So making up a sermon because I think people want to hear it is wrong, even if they tell me what they told Isaiah. Listen to what uh, the people said to Isaiah. They didn't like what he was saying. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. 
Wow. That's what the people say. And I've heard this for years. Pastor Darrell, you're just being too negative. Now, these days, I'm being overwhelmingly positive because I think that that's all people are hearing is negative. But I'm not being positive in a false way. I'm trying to help you see the promises that are in the word. I'm trying to help you see that if you are in Christ, these things are true of you. But if you're not in Christ, then you need to repent of your sin. That means you need to turn away from your selfishness and your lies, your wickedness and evil, and turn toward Christ and open your heart and invite him to come inside and be your Lord and be your Savior. And that's as simple as just saying a prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know it and I'm sorry and I need you in my life. I open my heart. I invite you to come inside. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. If you would pray that prayer, if you would pray a prayer like that, Jesus will come from heaven and come into your heart by his Spirit. And then you can know that you are in Christ. And you can know that in spite of all of the negative things that are happening in the world, and perhaps some of this is the judgment of the Lord, it's very possible, maybe even probable. God has promised to protect his people. God has promised that you are not destined for wrath. You are not destined for judgment if, if you put your faith in Christ, if you are in Christ. And then I can be overwhelmingly positive and the day star rises in my heart and I know that the dawn is coming. But I realize these final verses here is that these words are words of God. This isn't something that is just cleverly devised by human beings. This isn't just the imagination of some creative genius who sat down and wrote a book. This is the very word of God. And that's why I'm preaching it to you tonight. All right? We're done for the evening. God bless you.